Uh, guys, excited to be stepping into a new series this morning on community called One Another Doing Life Together. One of the things that we try to explain over and over and over, and I'm sorry if you're sick of it, is that the church is not just this building. The church is not a place that we spend uh, an hour and a bit at and owe the table, so in a little extra time eating food together. That's not the church. The church, uh, properly translated from the Greek, is, and what Jesus talked about, is the ecclesia or the community of Christ. That means that church doesn't end when you leave here. It means that when you leave here, you are an extension of what Scripture calls the body of Christ. We are the mouthpiece, the hands, the feet of Christ in the community outside of this building to each other and to the community outside of this building. So that, that's one of the things that we, we want to instill in this uh, series, that we are called to do life together. That's why we push things like the table. We push things like community groups. Um, when we do events for the community outside of our church, we really want to jump in and be a part of that. It's, it's no good to simply live like this, hunkering down until Jesus comes. That's never what the church was called to be. So that's kind of what we want to talk about today. Now, what I love is that when I stepped into the church this morning, I don't know, some of you might not have even noticed, but if you looked at, in the lobby, there was a whole feast set up, upside down, up on the ceiling. I don't know if some of you might not have even noticed. Some of you are going, really? I was late. I ran, didn't even know. No, I don't. I don't no, I'm just saying. Um, it's, as if, it's as if we actually asked them to set it up, but we didn't. Because what, what we really want to talk about is make sure we have healthy community, that we flip community onto its right side and live the way the gospel calls us to live in community. And so today, I'm just kind of giving an introduction to this series that's going to take us through uh, the summer, okay? So I'm going to invite you to stand and turn to 1 Peter 4, which you see behind me. And we're going to read verses 7 to 11. For those, 7, 11, oh, 7 to 11. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Peter was one of the leaders in the early church, a kind of a bit of a scatterbrain until, uh, until his life was turned around, uh, up and down emotionally and, and worried about how people perceived him, all that kind of stuff. And then he ends up being a leader in the early church. And this letter, he's actually writing to a handful of churches in, in what would be modern day Turkey to encourage them and tell them how they ought to live as Christ followers. So this, almost every New Testament letter is written to a community. See, when we take things like 1 Corinthians 13 and we make it, and I'm not against it being used in a marriage, but ultimately, the, the, what we call the love chapter, love is patient, love is kind, all that, that, that was Paul speaking to the community. That's how a community ought to live. And this is also Peter's message to a community and how they ought to live. And this is what he says, starting in verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's very grace, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Jesus, 
we walk through our weeks and we see all sorts of different versions of what it means to live in community. We watch TV shows, uh, we listen to music, all that have very specific ways and specific messages to us about how we ought to live in community, how much we ought to give of ourselves and how much we ought to take from others and, and how much we ought to hold back of ourselves. And so as we walk through this series, it's my prayer that you would um, kind of blow the lid off that box and you would teach us what it means to live in authentic, Christ-centered community. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can take a seat. There is a way that one lives, there's a way that we live when we believe that there's purpose to what we're doing, right? There's a way we do our job when we think there's a purpose to our job. We, there's a, there's a, a way we take on any task when we feel like there's purpose. There's another way we take on our task when we think there's no reason, when we think that uh, we live in kind of a, a vacuum and nothing we do is, is being played out on any bigger Stage. So I want you to imagine you, you wake up in the morning and your, your news alerts are going off on your phone. Um, I know you guys, none of you keep your, your technology in the bedroom, but anyway, uh, for those of you who do, um, it's beeping and, and BBC is going and CBC is going and it says uh, two days until we collide with another planet. You know, we've all seen the movies, right? Uh, two days until the meteor hits, right? So and there's no Bruce Willis from my day to help save us. There's no Dwayne The Rock Johnson who's going to step in. It's going to happen. So the question is, how do we respond? Time is running out. How do we respond? Well, there's a, there's a few different, and you guys see these in, in shows like, well, I've heard of shows where these happen, where there's zombies and things like this. And there's, there's different kinds of leaders that show, or different kinds of ways of responding. Um, one way is to respond like this, is to respond, buy me a beer, the end is near. The kind, and we've seen this in any apocalyptic movie, right? The guys are like, all right, man, party. And they go and they, they break windows and they steal cars and they break into and they take all the clothes from the shop, whatever. Go to the candy shop, whatever it is, liquor, whatever it is. Pass me the beer, the end is near. There's those kinds of responses. Man, there's like, eat, drink, and be merry, which is actually in scripture. Eat, drink, and be merry for the end is near. We may die tomorrow, man, so let's do it. Okay? Maybe I just do that. Anyway. Um, then there's this option, the end is near, let's hide, let's scream, let's panic, let's get in the basement and, and lock all the doors so that no one breaks in and gets the food that I put aside, just nobody comes near me, I'm just going to hunker down and hope this ends. And then there's this option, oh yeah, oh yeah. There's this option, is he perfect? No. Is he self, okay, calm down, ladies, uh, it's not what I meant. This ain't no parks and recreation version. No, I, no, no. <laughs> Here's a character from Guardians of the Galaxy who starts out thinking about himself, but when he gets a larger picture, he starts welcoming other people in and he starts saying, okay, I don't want anything to do with that. And then he's, the, the, the lid gets blown off on how he pictures the world, how he pictures the universe. And then he starts bringing in people who he would normally not be uh, friends with, not normally be associated with, keeps making mistakes, but because he sees a larger vision, he starts welcoming other people in, showing grace and welcoming them along on the journey. And plus he's got really cool guns. And he, and he can kind of uh, fly. Almost any movie that ha is kind of apocalyptic or TV show that has the end is near uh, all has these kinds of, of characters. And it doesn't mean that this kind of character is not scared. It means that he sees a big picture, so he's going to keep going. He's going to keep fighting. 
Peter is writing to a church in in 1 Peter in the first century, as I mentioned, in first century Turkey, and he's trying to give a framework of how we ought to treat one another. And by the way, there's every generation thinks they're in the last generation, just by the if you check Facebook when you leave here, you're gonna find a handful of people that think this is the end. Because people have different opinions than they do. Paul, Peter is writing to first century believers, and he's just saying, listen, this is how we ought to live our lives together as a community. And it's actually a beautiful vision of what community ought to look like. He, he starts by saying that Christian community is caught up in the story of Christ. Our community is caught up in Christ. It seems like an odd beginning to a call for community, doesn't it? So the end is near. <laughs> the end is at hand, everyone. Therefore, be self-controlled, sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. The, the word end that, that Peter uses there, it means te- it's the word telos. It means everything was moving to this point. It doesn't mean that tomorrow everything's over. It means that we're in the last chapter because Jesus has done everything that needs to be done to place us in the last chapter. History has reached what all of history has been aiming for. It's in that end time doesn't always mean the sky is about to fall. We are in the last chapter. Now, for those of you who, have, who are teachers and have taught English, or those of you who are, oh, I don't know, around grade eight or grade nine, you might recall something called the, the plot line. The plot line, where there's the, the, the exposition or the setting, the beginning, you find out uh, who the characters are, where it's taking place, and then there's this, you have a problem, a conflict, which would normally be right there before the, before the rise of action, and then all this rising action, and then a climax. When we look at scripture, we see the setting in the garden, we see the setting as the universe that God created, and then we have the, the fall of Adam and Eve, and from there on, the, the plot line of the story is how will God make this right? How will the community that has been broken between the communion between God and man be fixed? And throughout the Old Testament, we see it moving to where we see hints here and there through the prophets. It's all moving towards the climax, which is the cross, which is Christ. And then after that, we have the falling action, the resolution. Looks sad, but it's not. What it means is the conflict is done, and now we understand where this is going so we can breathe. That's basically how a plot line works. Peter is saying, we are in the falling action and the resolution time. We have, we have made it through all of this conflict. We have made it to what is Jesus, what is God talking about? What is this Messiah? To the cross and resurrection of Christ. And so we can kind of breathe easy as we're in this last chapter. That, that's what he is, is calling us to. Here's the framework. And, and, and what Peter's saying is this is the framework of a loving community. The end is near. Be sober-minded, be loving. He views the world as, as framed by a belief that God is in control, and as it says in, in verse 11, that things are moving towards the glorification of Christ. Look at the way he bookends this. The end is near. Like we're in this last chapter that God is writing, and the glorif- glorification of God through Jesus Christ, all glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. Think, think of the change in Peter. Peter, who was running scared, who, who rejected Jesus, who even during the three years of ministry was kind of up, kind of down, was worried about how other people perceived him, kind of seemed like he was right on top of it at times. Right on, Peter, that's exactly right. And then the next, next time he opens his mouth, he says something stupid. He's always worried. Uh, relationship is kind of growing, and then it seems like he's pulling back. 
So what happened to a guy like Peter from a, a frightened Palestinian fisherman who was rejecting Jesus in his, in his deepest need to, to this guy who's helping, who, who's running the early church? Well, it isn't difficult to figure out. It's easy. We can point to it in the story where everything changes for Peter, where he becomes the Peter that we know, the Peter that, that, that writes a letter like this. And this is what we need to learn as well. He understood that his life is changed because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Jesus Christ comes in like a hammer on history and says this changes your outlook on life. It changes the way you look at your circumstance because the story is much bigger, much bigger than you thought. And not only is it that Christ was resurrected, but as, as we'll point out here, Peter believed that Jesus reigns. He didn't disappear. He now reigns over all of creation, and he also believed very deeply that Jesus will be returning, and that is our hope. That's what we've been singing about this morning. Peter understood that, that the future was rooted in what he had witnessed in the death, resurrection, and ascension of Christ. And by the way, that's the invitation for you and I in our lives and our circumstances to frame whatever we are walking through, through the resurrection, the reign, and the return of Jesus Christ. Peter was down and out. He was not expecting a resurrection. If we look at Peter's behavior uh, as Jesus was being taken to the cross, if we look at Peter's behavior between his, his death and his resurrection, imagine being Peter, walking with Jesus for three years. When, when Jesus need you, needed you, you rejected him. You not only ran, but then you denied you even knew him. You even cursed the person who would suggest that you even associated with Jesus. And then Jesus was dead. Imagine Peter's heart at that point. What would his thoughts be? His thoughts would be, I'm never going to be able to reconcile what I did. It's no wonder when Peter gets a hint that Jesus has been resurrected, that he hits the ground running. Because what does that mean for Peter? That means it's not over. My relationship is not broken. I have an opportunity to fix this. And by the way, that's for all of us here. That's what the resurrection means for all of us. There's no point where your relationship with God is ever broken. No, no time, never divided from the love of Christ. As Paul writes in Romans 8, nothing can separate you from the love of Christ, not even death. Why? Because God proclaimed his power over death in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Community was broken and relationship had ended, but with Christ's resurrection, we see John in John 20, Peter just running to, to figure out if this resurrection is true, and then spent the rest of his life till his death proclaiming that the resurrection took place. So more than, but, but, but more than just the resurrection, Peter recognized that Jesus was not done yet. Resurrection was not the end. Jesus also reigns. In, in 1 Peter 3, verse 22, he says, Now Jesus, oh, sorry, now Christ has gone to heaven. So if you're wondering where he is now, Christ has gone to heaven. He is seated in the place of honor next to God and all the angels and authorities and powers accept his authority. Now, what does that mean? But look at what he says. God, go back there for a second. Sorry. He's next to God in the place of honor. God recognizes the place of honor for Christ. All the angels and the authorities and powers accept his authority. So here's the question Peter's saying. As Christ reigns on high, 
As Christ is sitting next to the Father and all authorities and all powers are recognizing in the spiritual realm, in, in the cosmic realm, are recognizing the reign of Christ and his authority over everything, will you? <laughs> if all powers and authority are, what is keeping you from recognizing the reign of Christ over anything and everything in our lives? Because that, that's, that's the only way to have the kind of view of the future that Peter is speaking about. He's in his proper place as king of creation. And then lastly, the, the, what, what's fueling this is the fact that he will return. Over and over and over, the writers of the New Testament hit, this, hit on this. As I, I read scripture this morning out of Revelation 21. We, we've sung about it. Not only Christ is he resurrected, not only does he reign, but he will return. Paul makes it clear every time we, we walk through communion and we talk from 1 Corinthians 11. He says, in the same way, speaking of Jesus on the, on the night he was betrayed, took the cup of wine after supper, saying this cup is a new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed by my blood, Jesus said. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. And I don't think you have the next half, which is actually the one I wanted to hit. So whenever you eat this bread or drink this cup, you proclaim his death until he returns. Until he comes. Every time we take communion, we are proclaiming our trust, our belief, our faith in Jesus' word that he will return. Should we take him at his word? Did he defeat death? Yeah, you believe that guy. When the guy who died and rose again says something, you, you take him at his word. Paul, whenever he writes to the church, it's, it's, it's riddled in the New Testament with the belief that Jesus will return. Philippians 2, 10 to 11, he says, At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's a glimpse of the future. I tell you, we get the resurrection, the reign, and the return of Christ embedded in our hearts. It'll change the way we live our lives. It'll change the, the, the often self-seeking version of ourselves that we put out there. It'll change our, many of the concerns that we walk around with. God is in control, and resurrection, and the reign, and the return are, are supporting posts in the history of the church in the history of the world. Peter says this in the first words of this letter. He says, God chose him, Jesus, as your ransom long before the world began. But now in these last days, he has been revealed for your sake, for your sake, to build our lives upon, to build the church upon. And so with that in mind, as we turn a corner here, that kind of backdrop Peter says, listen, in light of the resurrection, in light of the rain, in light of the return of Christ, in light of the fact that we are in this, this last chapter that, that God always had ready to be put in place, we need to live lives that express our spiritual reality. That our community, go to this next line here, our community expresses our spiritual reality by these things, by being sober-minded, he says in verse 7. By showing sincere love, by showing hospitality, by serving one another. He says, listen, there's a way you live when you live life as it, what I call the reign of now. The reign of now, meaning whatever circumstance you're in, 
that that's going to have the complete say on your life. Many people live under the reign of now. When the political climate changes, when the financial climate changes, their lives are falling apart. They pull the chicken little or they eat, drink, and be merry. Pass me the beer, the end is near. Because there's no larger framework to, to live their lives in. And the reign of now, does, is that not going to affect the way we live in community? Of course it is. Of course it is. He, li he lists the opposite of these things. He lists the opposite of being sober-minded and loving and hospitable and serving earlier in this verse. The opposites of them are these. Did I, maybe I didn't put these up, actually. He says that, that in verse 3, he says immorality and lust. Verse 4, he says feasting and drunkenness and wild parties and slander. These are the This is the way the world goes. This is what the reign of now looks like. It's, it's all about self and what I... That's, what's interesting is he lists things like immorality and lust, feasting, and what he means by that literally by overdoing it, is what he means, drunkenness, wild parties, slander. The irony of that is that they are all things that are done in community but are destructive to community. The things we gather to do that are destructive that actually ruin real community. He's saying, hey, our, our view of history... A history hinged on the resurrection, reign, and return of Christ changes the way we live. We live with purpose, and we live as a community. Today has become a day of living in a second version of life where we live in a world online that demands you take a side, and you hunker down, and you pick an enemy. It fights against community. We, we live in a world that demands pick something to be angry about. And then post all the things that help you and how angry you are. In many ways, we, we've, we've confined uh, this, this, this stunted idea. We have this stunt, confined, stunted idea of what it means to have community. Community means you had a lot of views and you got a lot of thumbs up. And we check. Yes. They like that picture. Sadly, the opposite is true. If you didn't get a lot of likes, if you didn't get a lot of thumbs up, you didn't get a lot of views, then you think, oh, I don't have worth. I was reading um, a story the other day of these uh, teenage girls, late teens, who took 40 pictures of themselves at an event before they found the right one to put online. And they referred to themselves as a brand. I have to be careful with my brand. They didn't work for a company, just themselves. I've heard it said it's an odd thing to call it a selfie when there's nothing self about it. You only have to take 40 pictures, that's not a selfie. <laughs> Peter, in his letter, the New Testament writers, the gospel, Christ, wants to kick over every measuring stick we have of what community means and how community is gained and what healthy community looks like. He wants us to find a new framework for what it means to have true Community. We are called into a new way of doing community, a way that looks ridiculous to those who live under the reign of now. Looks ridiculous that you would seek out someone to ask forgiveness, that you would seek out 
someone to bring healing. Why not just turn and go the other? You can find other people. What an odd kind of community. It looks ridiculous to a self-promoting, self-satisfying world. Why? Because we serve a God, a king, who gave up everything to gain community with you and I. That's the God we serve. That's the king we serve. A form of community that says, as it says in Galatians 3.28, there is no longer Jew or Gentile, there's no slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. That, by the way, was, was just uh, unbelievably anti-establishment in the day that Paul wrote it. That you would welcome in these barbarians, that you would welcome in <gasps> women, that you would welcome in Gentiles who still have pork in their teeth, you're going to welcome them in? They just ate bacon this morning. How can they come in and worship next to Jews? We are called to a form of community given its identity and its inclusion by the work already accomplished by Christ. You don't have to gain anything to be a part of this community. I don't care what your background is. The resurrection, the reign, and the return of Christ declares that everyone is welcome into this community. Now, the caveat is, is as, as Tim Keller says, is that um, God welcomes everybody into his community, but he loves us too much to leave us there. He accepts us as we are, but he loves us too much to leave us there. We are a continual work in progress, but we are welcome into this community. So he says, be sober-minded, think clearly, do not live to escape. I mean, how many of our lives are lived to escape? When we live under the reign of now, I just, need to, I just, wanna, I just wanna blur my mind and get past this day. It's just too much to happen. I'm in an argument with my friend. I'm just gonna take off. I'm just going to go deal with myself. We see a, a addiction, whether it's drugs or alcohol or, or games or food or social media. It's all an attempt to escape our, our own reality and the reign of now, to offer a, an unrealistic version of the self, to, to accept an unrealistic version of others. It's not being sober-minded. It's not taking in the, the bigger picture. And Peter says that sober-mindedness is, is an aid to our prayer life. It helps you pray because you don't go into prayer in a panic all the time because you go knowing that you're praying to a sovereign God who is in control. And even in the midst of struggle and craziness, we can do so with sober-mindedness. Peter says we ought to have sincere love, a sincere, straining Earnest love, he says that. That word means, it's the same word used of an athlete who's stretching his muscle to the limit to make sure he can still do it. We as Christ followers ought to have a love that does not go, oh, it's too hard. We ought to have a love that lets our muscles get strained to the limit in order to love each other, even with those who are extra grace required. We stretch our muscles and strain our muscles to love each other to the limit. I've said this before, often when we, we look around the church, like physically look at this community right now, there are a lot of people here who you would not normally associate with. But because we are part of the body of Christ, it doesn't matter where you came from, you are welcome because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Does our love strain to love each other? Or when it gets a strain to love our brothers and sisters in Christ, we go, oh, I'll go find a new church. And then when I get, when I go, ah, okay, I'm going to go find another church. 
Or will we fight for the unity of our church and for love and forgiveness in our church? Man, when I hear stories of people in our church who rubbed up against each other and then in maturity contacted each other and said, let's sit down, let's talk, let's love, let's reconcile for the sake of Christ. Man, that's the church. So don't tell me I'm going to go find a non-hypocritical church because you had a problem with someone in the church. Reconcile. Love to the extreme. Isn't that the model that we've been given? Love to the extreme. I don't think we're above it. But I tell you, we live in a world of, of tribalism and revenge and hatred. And he says, love covers a multitude of sins. It, it, like a fire that needs oxygen, it sucks the oxygen out. I'm not going to battle back. I'm going to say, hey, let's find peace. Let's love each other. Let's forgive each other. When I was about 12, I was, I was home once. I loved to cook when I was 12. I loved it. And I remember I was preparing this meal, and I was boiling the pasta, and I was getting all this done. And, and 20 minutes later, I was going to have craft dinner. It was going to be so good. And but I remember at one point moving the, the pot, and I was actually wearing like a, a robe, and, it, and the element lit the robe sleeve on fire. And I happened to be running a bath in the other room, and I went, <laughs> I don't know how I thought so fast, but I just went running around the room to the bath with flame going up like this, and I just plunged my arm into the fire, and it was immediately snuffed out. And I, I was, <laughs> my family was asking me later why there's only half a sleeve and why it's all by, and they couldn't believe that I wasn't burned. Well, oh, I had no hair yet. I was 12. But anyway, <laughs> couldn't believe that it snuffed it out. That's how the love of Christ displayed in community. That's how it deals with sin. That's how it deals when we're pushing up against each other. It suffocates us like throwing a blanket over a fire. It suffocates. Oh, to have that kind of love in the church where people weren't afraid to come to church because they got a problem with that person, that where community groups didn't break up, where people didn't start leaving community groups because there were problems there. But we fought, we strained to love each other so we could suffocate sin, and we could suffocate the things that would break community. We live in an unforgiving time. We live in a time where one tweet can ruin someone's career, where we can dig up Garbage from your life 20 years ago, post it online and ruin your career. And we are justified for doing it. That's the way the world is working right now. Oh, to be a community that people would look at and go, oh, that's a safe community. That's a, that's a community where I can make mistakes and they're going to welcome me in. That's a community that's experienced the ultimate forgiveness and so they're going to show me forgiveness. That's the kind of community we want to be. He says, this kind of community that, that gets their, their um, identity from the resurrection, the reign, and the return of Christ shows hospitality. Shows hospitality. Now, I would have liked it if he just said hospitality, but he says hospitality without grumbling. <laughs> it means you don't, you're not serving and like, when, and then you go back in the kitchen, when are they going to leave? I can't believe these people. There, there are some customs in the Middle East where you're welcomed in and they give you sweet tea and they feed you bread, and you're given a clue that it's time to go because the tea starts tasting more and more bitter. <laughs> That's the way it works. Show hospitality without grumbling. Well, what kind of hospitality grumbles? The kind of hospitality that's not really hospitality. 
Because hospitality is a movement from within. That's what Peter's asking for. I tell you, when, we, when I am invited to someone's house and they show me hospitality, there is a sacred moment that takes place there. We were invited to the Forsyths a few weeks ago. Where are they at? I just saw them. They fed us well. <laughs> but more than the food, the two and a half hours of talking around the table, three hours of talking around the table about where their family was at, where, where my wife and I were at, there's a sense of the spirit there. That kind of hospitality is, is what the, the model of hospitality ought to be. It was good. It was good. <laughs> he says, serve. The kind of community that we have ought to be a community that serves. He says, every gift you have, every gift you have ought to be used for the community and for the health of the community. It says, if you're a speaker, speak as if you're speaking the oracles, the words of God. Now, in Peter's day, and some of you have heard this, there was this group of people that would stand on the street corner and their whole job was just they were gifted in speaking and convincing people of things so that some people would hire them to go on the street corners and speak to convince them of a certain philosophy. It didn't matter whether they believed it or not. They just had the gift of knowing how to convince people. They were kind of like modern-day advertisers. Right? They would just go, no, you need this, you need this, and they, had, they were given the gift of how to do that. Peter's saying, no, no, that needs to be redeemed for the sake of the gospel. If you're going to speak, you speak as if you're speaking the words of God. Whatever gift you have, you speak as if you are speaking the words of God. Redeem the gift. Use it in light of these truths. In verse 10, he says, as each of you has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. What gifts do you walk in here with today? How can you serve this community and the community that surrounds us? Maybe you're really good with shaking hands and smiling and just making people feel welcome. Get at our front doors on a Sunday morning. I don't even care if you're signed up. Just show up at the front door and start shaking people's hands. If you're an artist and we're going to be painting little kids' faces, well, maybe some adults too, some faces on, on August 5th, sign up and be a part of that. When we try to do things like the table or we're tearing down, serve the church community, lighten the load on people like Andrew who serve every single week by putting things away. Whatever you are, are you a, a musician, redeem your music. If you are a businessman or woman, redeem your business in light of the story that you find yourselves in, in light of the work Christ has done and where he now sits and that he is coming back again. Redeem your work. Stay-at-home moms and dads, people between jobs, people in unhealthy relationships. In light of this, live sober-minded lives in light of your position in Christ. Guys, there's a way we live when we know what the plot line is. There's a way we live when we know where it is all going. There's a way we, we, we experience a long road trip when we know it's at the end of it. So how does this truth affect all of those areas in your life? Your future is secure in Christ. Your past and whatever you've got in your closet at home 
are securely fastened away in the forgiveness of Christ. And we invite him and we invite the spirit to continually point those things out because we want the full life that he offers us. We do not live under the reign of now, past the beer, the end is near. We don't run in fear like, like Chicken Little. With clear heads, with sober minds, we love, we show hospitality, and we serve. And that's what we're going to explore over these next couple months. What does it look like to soberly live out this love and serve each other? Singer and songwriter Ben Rector puts it this way. And if you don't listen to Ben Rector, you should. Great singer-songwriter. In his song, The World is Gonna End, he said, if we found out that the world was gonna end on Tuesday morning, what would everybody do? It's funny how the thought of that can make some things real important and a lot of things seem pretty worthless too. But I'd be dancing like a fool. I'd be laughing. I'd be crying, calling everybody I, know, I ever hurt and reconciling. I'd call everyone I loved, say what I was scared to say till then. Now that I think about it, maybe I should always live like the world is going to end. And I'd speak love to everybody who came close enough to listen. And if someone had done me wrong, I'd call and tell them I'd forgotten. Now that I think about it, maybe I should always live like the world is going to end. Ben Rector writes from a, a Christian perspective. That, that is not the mindset of the reign of now. That is the mindset of this is going somewhere. And I think if Peter was a songwriter, he might have written something similar. Maybe proper grammar, but. Christ is on the throne. The last chapter is written, how ought we to live? Not in a panic. Not in a way that takes advantage of others and and. And, and lives just for the day. It doesn't, it doesn't live just for the day. It doesn't take advantage of the lives of others. Not like Chicken Little, panicked and unsure with no perspective other than what he, he sees immediately before him. But with a sober-minded, sincere love that manifests itself with hospitality and service in light of what Christ has done and what, in light of who we are because of our life in Christ. Let's pray. Jesus, I'm well aware that this means something different for every person who's sitting in here this morning. And there's different parts in a sermon like this that, that ring true and other parts that we have to grapple with. And God, I, I, I see every day the way that the reign of now affects my own life and tries to pressure me to live and con- commit to certain things. And so I need to be reminded of the truth of Scripture. I need to be reminded of the truth of the gospel, that Jesus, you lived and died. You rose, you burst out of the grave. You, 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 you flew the lid off the box of what we thought our reality consisted of. And now you reign above every authority. Not only did you create all things, you sustain and hold all things together by your word. I will be so much more content if I were to recognize your authority every day in my life as well. And not only that, Christ, you will return. You will 
return. You have proven your power over sin and death and the grave, and so we can trust your word. And in light of this framework, it comes down to, will we trust you? And I want us to be a community that is so in love with you, Jesus, that is so enthralled with the, the story that you've, you've allowed us to be a part of, that it overflows into this community. That because of that, we don't have to be self-sufficient. We don't have to be selfish. We can flow out of ourselves to other people the love and the forgiveness that you have filled us with. May we be known as a community that is quick to forgive. May we be known as a community that strains its love to the limit to to love everybody, to welcome everybody in. May we be those known to show hospitality and to serve with whatever gift you've given us for the sake of Jesus Christ and for the glory of God and for the health of this, your church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.